you guys want to turn to John chapter 8, if you don't have a Bible, we will be showing you the verses on the screen. And the title of my message is, Why Do We Matter? And I want to just give a special welcome to all those who are here from the bridge course that we just finished up. What an amazing course uh, we had. You might recognize this message. This is the new one I did on week eight. And again, the title is, Why Do We Matter? In 2013, a 50-year-old man named Brett Archibald and his surfing buddies boarded a boat in Indonesia after an already exhausting two days of travel. And that's when things got worse. Most of the men became violently sick as a result of food poisoning, and the wave-tossed boat that was trying to navigate a powerful storm. Brett was so sick that he passed out and fell over the rail of the boat. His friends did not realize he was gone until eight hours later. He was all alone, adrift for hour after hour. He thought he would find something to hang on to since that part of the Indian Ocean has lots of debris, but he found nothing. All he could do was tread water. He drifted for over 28 hours with nothing to hang on to. You know, we seem to be drifting too. We aren't physically drifting, we're mentally drifting. We're, we're lost, we can't get our footing. There seems to be nothing to hang on to. Anger, stress, worry, sadness, depression, and suicide are at an all-time high. Now, there are probably many reasons for this, but one reason is that we have an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. We, we don't know why we're here. We're, we're lost. We've lost our identity. Questions that seem to have no answers are sinking us. Who are we? What is our purpose? Is life meaningless? Why do we even exist? These are questions that can color and affect every aspect of our lives. So if you are aware of a lingering emptiness and you don't have answers to these questions, then this talk is for you. But where in the world can we get answers? Where can we find our identity? Well, number one, we can look outward. We can look to others. And some of the thoughts in this message I've drawn from Tim Keller and his excellent book called Making Sense of God. So first, we can look outward. We can look to others. This is the traditional solution. It's looking to our family and our community to find meaning and to understand who we are. It's looking to traditions and customs and those in authority. In traditional cultures, self is based on who we are in our community and our service to that community. That's what brings us honor. In the traditional world, authority and authority figures are, for the most part, good. And to be a hero is to sacrifice for others, to, to do your duty, 
Self-worth depends on the honor that the community bestows upon you. You need them to validate you. If you ask someone in a traditional culture, who are you, they will most likely explain their roles or their background. I'm a mother, I'm a teacher, I'm a husband, I'm Irish. And if they do a good job in these roles, they'll be valued. In the traditional culture, you often had to do what your father did. If he was a carpenter, then you had to be a carpenter. If he was a Jedi Knight, then you had to be a Jedi Knight. But is this the best way to find our identity? Well, there certainly are some important benefits to the traditional approach. Who we are is fundamentally connected to our relationships with others. For better or for worse, we were largely formed by our upbringing. We've been shaped by our community. Richard Lynch says, you are not just an individual. You are not your own creation. You did not invent yourself. You exist in a web of relationships. You're a social animal. Your identity is constituted in relation to other people and in being known by them. So we all need others, and the traditional approach tells us to look to others for that validation. It places a a high value on what others think. But the problem with this approach is that it can be unbearable. You feel obligated to do what your family wants you to do. You're forced into a mold that might not work best for you. You're controlled by what your community thinks about you. And what happens when the community doesn't validate you anymore? What happens when those who matter most in your life, your parents, your spouse, your children, a boss, a coach, a friend, what happens when they don't value you anymore? Or what happens when you can't do what you used to do? You aren't as strong or beautiful or smart or athletic, or rich, or as powerful as you once were. Looking outward, looking to others, might not be the best way to find yourself. Number two, option number two, we can look inward. Now, this is the modern solution. This tilts the seesaw to the other side. To find meaning and to understand who we are, we have to look inside ourselves. The solution to our sense of meaninglessness is found in our hearts. In the modern culture, we're not as concerned with traditions or customs or, or what others think, especially those in authority. We have to detach ourselves from family and from traditions, even from religion, and determine who we are for ourselves. Your identity is found in your dreams and your desires and your preferences. Your self-worth depends on the dignity that you bestow on yourself. To, To be a hero, you have to express yourself regardless of societal opposition. You have to be different. You have to be authentic. You have to do you. 
One of the best-selling songs of all time is sung by Elsa in the record-breaking Disney movie, Frozen. The song is called Let It Go. It has been viewed on YouTube alone over 1.5 billion times. And it's become something of an anthem for younger generations. Elsa says, it's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go, and I'll rise like the break of dawn. Let it go, let it go, that perfect girl is gone. Here I stand in the light of day. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. This song is a really good example of leaving the outward kind of traditional structures to become our true selves. We have to detach. We we have to leave the community and go out in order to find ourselves. We have to let that traditional stuff go. But is this modern individualism the way to find our identity? Well, there certainly are some important benefits to a modern approach. We shouldn't have to do what our parents did. And we shouldn't allow others to manipulate or control us. You know, our modern world has placed a lot of emphasis on individual rights, equality, and freedoms. And that has helped us to break through certain discriminatory practices, biases, and racial barriers. But is this modern individualism the answer to our identity? Is looking inside the pathway to peace and fulfillment? I don't think so. There are several challenges with looking inward or what is often called expressive individualism. One is that it is confusing. If you look inside, you'll find desires and dreams, but you'll also find that they contradict each other. You want a healthy relationship with your partner, but you also want to look at pornography. You want to be in great shape, but you also want to eat all the foods that are not good for you. And what if, when you're trying to find yourself, you don't like what you find? What if looking inside you find some scary stuff. So the the modern solution can be confusing. It can also be crushing. The emphasis on becoming who you are inside does not free us. It becomes a crushing weight that desperately needs validation and affirmation. We are more vulnerable than ever to our need for validation and acceptance even though we've been told that our opinion is the only one that matters. Self-validation was supposed to take care of this, but it doesn't. It just sends us back to the traditional mode of finding acceptance just with a different group. The opinions and acceptance of community still matters. Tim Keller says, only if we are approved and loved by someone whom we esteem can we achieve any self-esteem? 
to use biblical terms, we need someone to bless us because we can't bless ourselves. We are irreducibly social and relational beings. We need someone we respect to respect us. We need someone we admire to admire us. Even when modern people claim to be validating themselves, the reality is always that they are socializing themselves into a new community of peers, of cheerleaders, of people whose approval they crave. This is why our new world is crushing us. It's why depression and suicide rates are at an all-time high. It's why so many people are so unsure of who they are and, and why finding yourself has never been more difficult. The other problem with the modern culture is that it's exclusive. You have to exclude others in order to validate yourself. We can't create an us without creating a them. And there needs to be some other contrasting group that is labeled them, and by seeing them in a negative light and excluding them, we bolster our identity. Now another weakness with looking inward is that the truth gets pushed aside. It's our preferences that determine what we believe is true. If the truth fits our preferences and opinions, then all's well and good. But if the truth is offensive, if we don't like it, then our preferences win out. Truth doesn't matter. We all know the truth that french fries are bad for us. But it doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> we want them and our preferences win out over truth. And it's the same with the truth of Christianity. Truth doesn't matter. Sometimes we don't even want to hear the truth. We don't even want to consider it because the implications are too costly and so our preferences win out. But in reality, truth is not hard to find. It's hard to embrace. Look at John chapter eight and verse 31. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, it's a great word abide, it means to remain. So if you abide or remain in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son, note the capital S there, that's Jesus, the son of God. So if the son, Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus is saying, if you really believe in me, then you'll obey my word, you'll obey my commands. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, they already thought they were free. And now Jesus is telling them that they're actually in slavery to their sins. In other words, the sins they're committing have enslaved them. Well, they're not about to embrace this truth. They reject it, and like many of us, they dismiss truths that don't line up with their preferences. One of the reasons that this is so prevalent 
is because the culture is confused by the idea of freedom. We think that freedom is the right to do whatever we want, to throw off all restraints and boundaries, to, to do and feel and say what we want like Elsa. But is that what freedom is? A friend of a friend told a story about um, a soccer game. He was actually going to his son's soccer practice, and they were supposed to have a scrimmage. And he got there, and the kids were real little. You know, like when the kids are like five years old and they play soccer, it's basically a mob scene surrounding a ball, just being kicked somewhere in the center of this mob. Okay, so they were like five years old, and so the coach wasn't there. And so he said the moms kind of forced him to be like the referee for this little scrimmage game. Well, there were a couple problems. One is he had no cones, he had no way to mark the boundaries. And the other problem was he didn't know the rules of soccer. So the kids started to play, and the whole mob goes way out over, and somebody says, Mr., they're out of bounds. And he goes, uh, play on. And so then the mob comes back over, and somebody gets pushed down. I'm like, Mr., that's a foul. And he's, he's like, uh, play on. And then they kind of come back over here. Somebody gets elbowed, and there's a kid down on the ground crying. And they're like, mister, that's another foul. And he's like, uh, play on. And pretty soon, there's just chaos. There's kids screaming, yelling, bodies are laying all around. Well, finally, finally, the coach comes. And the coach has a whistle, and he blows the whistle. And he brings all the kids together. He sets out the cone and mar he marks the boundaries. And then they begin the game. He knows the rules. And they have a great time. See, freedom without boundaries or restraints is chaos. And it eventually leads to pain and confusion. True freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. It's the ability to do what is good and best. And Jesus tells us that truth is what brings freedom. The truth will set us free. There's a connection between truth and freedom. Truth will bring us true freedom to overcome our sin and, and the enslavement of our sinful desires. Truth gives us the power to live lives of sacrifice and joy and to actually be the people that God intended us to be. The Bible doesn't set up arbitrary boundaries to oppose freedom. No, its boundaries favor our freedom, just like in the soccer match. Its, it's boundaries bring fulfillment. The, the freedom Jesus gives us results in true joy and purpose. So looking inside ourselves does not seem to be the best way to find our identity. Is there another way? And that brings us to number three, my last point. We should look upward. We should look to God. So, so if looking inward is confusing and, and crushing and exclusive and, and looking outward is unbearable and unsustainable, where should we look? We should look upward. What if what matters most is not what society says about me or even what I think about myself, but what God says about me. 
What if the way to find yourself is not based on your personal desires or the desires of your community, it's based on your relationship to God? See, God has created you and every other human being that has ever lived. I mean, just look at the design and and the beauty and the life all around you. The, The reason we feel empty and fragmented is because we're not connected to the one who has designed us and created us. We're like a branch that's, that's been cut off from the tree. See, God has made us with design and purpose to function and live in a certain way. And he brings joy and peace and wholeness and blessing to those who are connected to him, to those who belong to him. In Genesis chapter 1, One of the first verses in the Bible, in verse 26, it says, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them, let man have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God, this is verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So so the Bible tells us clearly that we were made in the image of God. Why would God create us in his image? Well, because God wanted us to experience the joy of being in a relationship with him. He wanted to share his love with us, and so he created us in his image so that we could be in a relationship with him. God the Father created us to bring us into the friendship and love that he has had for all eternity with the Son and with the Spirit. See, the fact that we are made in the image of God means that every single human being has worth and dignity and value. Every one. No matter how able or injured or different or diseased or depressed. No matter how poor or powerless or weak or marginalized. No matter what race or ethnicity or gender or social status. Every man or woman on the planet is made in the image of God, which is why we all have equal worth and meaning and dignity and purpose. This is why we all matter. We're created in the image of God, and we find our worth in him. Now, there's a great story in the Bible that illustrates this in John chapter 4. So if you're in John 8, you can take a left turn over there to John chapter 4. In verse 3, it says, Jesus, he, Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So Galilee's up north. Verse 4 says, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, that's noon. Verse 4 says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. 
he actually didn't have to pass through Samaria. Strict Jews would not go through Samaria to get to Galilee in the north. They would go out and around Samaria because they hated the Samaritans. They considered the Samaritans half-breeds and utterly despised them. They considered them unclean. So Jews, Jews would avoid them and travel around them. But not Jesus. It says he had to pass through Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman that he wanted to rescue. Why did he have to go to Samaria? Because Jesus cares. He cares about people that are far from God. He cares about people that are hurting, people that are lost, people that are broken and confused and empty and hopeless and destructive. This woman was made in the image of God and Jesus cares about her. Jesus also blows through barriers. Look at verse seven. It says, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? So this is absolutely scandalous. Not only does Jesus decide to go through Samaria, now he sits down and starts talking to a Samaritan. Jews are not supposed to talk to Samaritans. And not only is she Samaritan, she's a woman. Jewish men are not supposed to talk to women in public. And not only is she a woman, she's an immoral adulteress. We find out later in this story that she's had five husbands, and she's currently committing adultery with another man who I guess she's hoping could become husband number six. Rabbis are not supposed to talk to immoral adulteresses. What Jesus is doing is absolutely unheard of. It is shocking. He is blowing through social barriers. He is blowing through racial barriers. He's blowing through these stop signs. He is blowing through moral barriers. He is blowing through religious barriers because she's made in the image of God and he wants to give her joy. He wants to give her purpose in her life. I love this about Jesus. I love it. You know, people wrongly think that Christianity denigrates women, condones slavery, promotes homophobia, and causes violence. That's ridiculous. You, you can only think that if you've never looked at the life of Jesus. Everyone else is avoiding and rejecting and judging this woman. Her life is so messed up and so steeped in sin that she comes to get water in the hottest part of the day so she doesn't run into any of the other women. It's like going to the grocery store in the middle of the night so you don't run into someone. But Jesus comes to her rescue. He smashes through all the barriers. No race barrier. No economic barrier. No moral barrier, no social barrier can stop him. His heart is so filled with love that nothing can keep him away. That means that the things that you think 
are keeping Jesus away from you cannot stop him. They cannot stop Jesus from loving you and rescuing you no matter how big you think they are. So Jesus blows through these barriers. We also see that Jesus shows mercy. Let me show you one more verse in verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her. Because remember, Jesus had asked her for a drink and she's like, what do you think you're doing? You're a Jew. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. People do not know what they are missing. They don't know the gift of God, that they can find satisfaction and forgiveness in Christ, and they don't know that Jesus is the one that can give them the gift. So they look everywhere and never find it. They look outside and inside and they fail to look upward. Jesus is saying to this woman, if you knew what God could do for you, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for something. I'm just asking you for a little drink of water, but I have something to give you that is far greater than what I'm asking for. Despite her rebellious, sinful lifestyle and her blatant rejection and disregard of God, Jesus wants to give her living water. Jesus wants to give her satisfaction and forgiveness. He wants to give her new life. Jesus is saying, just ask me. Just ask me. What a stunning picture of the Savior. Here's a perfect man looking at a sinful woman and saying to her, if you only knew what I could give you, you would ask. I'm so willing. I'm not rejecting you. I'm inviting you to get what I have. I want to share it with you. He wants to give this lost, hopeless woman eternal life. He shows her that her her identity is not in how she's viewed outwardly, or what she thinks of herself inwardly, but it should be in him. She can belong to him, and this would give her incredible purpose and meaning. So being made in the image of God gives us value and worth, but that doesn't solve our identity problem. Not only has our identity been marred and tarnished by sin, we often make the mistake of trying to find our identity in things. Who we are, what we're good at, what we have. But these things are way too fragile and trivial to anchor our identity in. We need a stronger, more enduring identity. And that comes from being united to Christ. And like the woman at the well, all you have to do is ask Jesus for this new life. And he will change your identity. He will unite you to himself. And this is really good news. You don't have to earn your new identity. You just have to ask for it and receive it. If you repent and believe, you will become a child of God. You will be adopted into the family of God, fully and unconditionally accepted and united to him forever. And this is where our new identity comes from. 
This is where our lifelong need to be known and accepted and loved and validated is met. God the Father adopts us into his family and we are given a new identity as his beloved children. And that identity changes everything. Being loved by God as his child is why we were created by God. We're, we're now accepted and adored and loved by God. Despite our many sins and our constant failings, we're protected and guided and secure. If you become a child of God, then in the eyes of God, in the opinion of the only one in the universe whose opinion ultimately matters, you're more valuable than all the riches in the world. You are his precious child. You matter more than you could imagine. How do I know that? Because Jesus went to the cross to die for you. He suffered unimaginable torture on the cross, taking the wrath and punishment that you deserve so that you could be freed from your sin, cleansed from all you've done in your past, and made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. If you've been asking hard questions about life and wondering what the point is sometimes, it is God who's put those questions in your heart. He wants to show you a life that isn't just a random pile of experiences, but a life of purpose, acceptance, vision, and meaning. And as you open up to the idea that there is truth and that there is a creator that has made you and wants to show himself to you, there is an answer to your questions. And that answer has a name. It's Jesus. Let me finish telling you what happened to the man that was adrift in the Indian Ocean. After an incredible story of being bumped by sharks, stung by jellyfish, and attacked by birds, not to mention extreme dehydration, Brett Archibald was about to die. He had been in the water for over 28 hours, but a captain named Tony Etherington, who had navigated these waters for years, was determined to find Brett. He searched and searched for hour after hour. He wasn't going to give up. And at the last moment when Brett was going under, Tony found him and Brett was saved. Jesus is like that captain. He wants to rescue you. But you have to call out to him. You have to ask him to rescue you. And if you do that, he will lift you from the deep waters. He will rescue you from all your sin and confusion. And he will bring you into the life you've always been looking for. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your incredible kindness to us. Lord, it's so easy to try to find our identity in the past or in what our community thinks or, or looking inside to try to discover who we are. I pray that you would help each of us to look upward, to look to you. God, you've created each one of us so that we might know you, that we might find our identity in you, 
that we might be adopted as your children so that we could find the peace and life and love we've always been looking for. So please do that, we pray in Jesus' name.